guys. I'm glad to have you with us. Hey, high five somebody and you can be seated. High five somebody and you can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to the chapel. We're in a series called By Your Spirit. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute. But want to look in the back of the room at the camera and say good morning to the chapel. Scott's edition. Richmond, love you guys. Good morning, 930. And then, of course, uh, our people in Chesterfield County Jail, Harp. Uh, we say it all the time. You're not a project to us. You're our people. And uh, we're actually really excited. We're coming in the next month or so into the jail. We're going to do something special. We can't wait to be back with you all. See you in person. But we love you. We love what God's doing in our, uh, in our community. And, of course, Chapel Online. Love you guys. Write something in the chat line about where you're watching from. How's everybody feeling today? Good? Glad to have you here, and uh, we're in a series by your spirit, but I just want to tell you a couple things that are really um, exciting coming up in the life of our church, and, and we, we uh, are, are, plan are planning and praying for an incredible summer, and one of the focuses on our uh, summer is, is students and young adults and kids, and you know, VBS is already full, but uh, th that's coming up, and then we, we are, we're adding something we've never done before this summer, and it is a motion conference for all of our junior high, senior high, and young adults, July uh, 28th to 30th, three days, strategically, I'm telling you, it's strategically at the end of the summer to get our students connected to God before they go back to school, and I'm telling you, we are going all in with this, okay, so I want you to bring the kids you know, even the kids you don't know, come on, bring them in here, and it's going to be incredible, and if in fact, if you uh, do have a junior high or senior high student, uh, we, um, we do this little card that just tells you uh, a little bit about the uh, ministry of the summer, so you can find out a chapel student card on the way out today, and that'll just give you a, a flyover of the whole summer, and, and we love to connect with students. And then, and then we just, we got hearing so much of what, how I many know kids lost a lot in the last couple of years, right? And they lost in-person school for a while, and they lost... Um, uh, uh, all kinds of things, proms and everything. So we're trying to think of doing something a little extra special for students and kids and families this summer. So we're doing something we've never done before. And if this is a good idea, it's mine. If it's a bad idea, it's the team's, okay? And so here it is. And that is we're going to do our first ever family fest with fireworks. Come on, somebody. Fireworks. And so... Um, we're going to take first Wednesday in July, right in Midlothian, and we don't worry, we, we don't have one of our teams doing this. Uh, it's not like Pastor Joel and Jason in the back in overalls, you know, but uh, uh, so we got that handled by somebody else, but it's going to be an incredible night of music and fun, so just make sure you mark that date down, first Wednesday, 7 p.m., July 6th, to just celebrate and be together and, uh, and create some connections and love on our families and, and make memories. Good? Everybody Good? You look so good this weekend. I'm glad you're here. Well, we're in a series um, called By Your Spirit. And, um, you know, I was thinking it's, it's, it's uh, in two weeks. I want to let you know that we're launching a brand new series on relationships the first Sunday of June. And so you'll want to be a part of that, uh, navigating marriage and singleness and, and life and relationship. It'll be a really practical series. We'll launch it all through the, the month of June. So it'd be a great uh, series to invite somebody who's new here. Um, you know, one of the things that I didn't understand when Katie and I got married was one of her um, obsessive compulsive habits, which was whenever we were going to leave on vacation, she had to clean the house perfectly before we left. And this didn't make sense to me because I, I remember the first time she was doing it, I was like, is somebody like staying here or like, 
what's going on? She's like, no, I just need to be really clean before we leave. And, and I'm the guy, I get everything ready and it's time to go, 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 go. Don't let the kids drink anything because I don't want to stop. You know, like, come on, let's go. And she's clean everything and, just, you know, and I'm like, are we selling the house? Are we showing it? Like, what's happening? And, and I just wonder, I've, I've since found that this is a disorder that many people have. If that's you this weekend, you do this, come on, raise your hand. We're going to have prayer after church. And, uh, and I remember, I just remember, finally I said to her, this doesn't make sense to me. Uh, we're, we're leaving. And she said, but when I come back, I want to know when I come back from vacation, the house is ready to receive us. <laughs> okay, well, this isn't going like I thought. And uh, I thought I'd have more sympathy. But, you know, I, she, she wanted a prepared environment. And, you know, the same is true, actually, of the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, God can do whatever he wants. But the power of God oftentimes comes, I don't know if you know this, to environments that are prepared for it. And, and so I want to talk to you this weekend from the Bible about how to create environments that are prepared for God to work. And, and we believe God works. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's God who works in us. How many know it's God who works in us, right? But that doesn't, that shouldn't cause us to abdicate us being, being a part of that because, yes, it's God that works in us, but a little earlier in the verse it says, we're to continue to work out our salvation for it's God who works in us. That means that, yes, God works, but he expects obedience and discipline and commitment from us, right? And so, yes, it's only God that works, but there are some things that we can do to be obedient and faithful and, and honor God with our life and follow scripture that creates an environment that God can work. And I want to talk to you this weekend about four things the early church did in the book of Acts, all in Acts 2, 42 to 47, that they, these four characteristics that created an atmosphere that God could move. And we don't have time to look at it, but the whole book of Acts is God changing the world and God coming to cities. In fact, in Ephesus, in Acts 19, God came to a city that was far away from him and totally transformed the city. How many think our city needs the Lord, right? And, and so I believe God can do that today. He can change cities and schools and families and neighborhoods and communities but, but, but all these miracles happen, but they happen in the context of God working in a way powerfully in, in a church that had some commitments. They had some disciplines. They had some characteristics that created an environment that let God move. And so I want to, I think this will be a helpful teaching for us today to really look at what are the things that the chapel should have? What are the commitments, the disciplines in our life and in our church that creates an environment for God to move. Are you with me? How many want to be a part of a church where God is at work? Come on, right? So, all right, well, what does God do? Let me show you these all from Acts chapter 2. And the Bible literally says that the first thing I see here is they were a church with, come on, vibrant what? How many know we come to do more than sing songs? In fact, I don't know if you know this, but, but, but we come to worship God. I mean, we want to have good coffee and great kids ministry and, and awesome singing and a good message. But ultimately, we have come to meet with the creator of the universe, right? And so, and so we want to be a people who worship. In fact, I think something happens in our worship, in our singing. Heaven touches earth. And I actually think battles are won and futures are altered and destinies are determined. How many believe it's more than just singing, right? It's an encounter with God. In fact, in fact, in Genesis, Jacob describes it this way. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it, but he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. 
It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. So here's what he was saying is that literally that, that something happened. And this is a kind of a strange passage in Genesis 28 where Jacob falls asleep and there's a ladder going between him and heaven and he sees angels going up and down. But we can't get into all of it. Here's simply the principle that when God meets with God's people, there are spiritual things that happen. When God is worshipped, there are things that happen, not just in the visible, but in the invisible realm that transforms things. And he says it's literally none other than the house of God. In fact, we've started to call our church, sometimes you'll hear us not call it a church, but a house. You'll hear us say we welcome God into this house. It's just a biblical word to say this is the place where God chooses to meet with us. But how many know we're also houses of God, right? And we have an opportunity to worship and to glorify and to magnify the Lord. And, and so we're, we're in a church that believes in vibrant worship. And so we've come to worship God. And anybody come to worship God, right? But, but I want you to see this, Acts 2. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Let me show you that their worship was more than just singing, okay? It was, it was a church that was devoted to teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, and prayer. And this was not just a few leaders. It was who? All the believers. Come on. Somebody say all. Come on. All the believers. So this wasn't just a couple. It wasn't just Peter and John. It wasn't just a few of them along the way. They were all committed to teaching and fellowship. So let me show you what vibrant worship is because it's more than just singing. It's literally, he says, that they committed themselves to solid teaching. Okay? So that's what a vibrant church is. It prioritizes solid teaching. How many think we need to be taught God's word, right? In fact, we want to have passionate worship and want to have dynamic community, but we need to be a church that prioritizes solid teaching, the biblical truth. How I many know you can't, you can't grow beyond what you know, right? And so we're, we're to sit under the authority of God's word. In fact, I'll let you in on a little trick. I try to do it conversationally and, and relationally, so you may not know that this, but all of my main points every weekend come from one passage of Scripture. And I'm just telling you that because today all four points will come from Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. Four points all straight from these Bible verses. I try to do it in a way that's kind of conversational and talking through it. But I just want to emphasize that because I think it's important that you know you're in a church where the pastor spent all week not trying to be clever and figure things out, but just open the Bible and say, God, what does your word say? In fact, every once in a while, I'll meet a pastor who says, how do you figure out what to preach every week? It takes me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I kind of say something like this to them. Have you ever thought of just trying the Bible? It's very effective and saves me a lot of time. I don't really, I, I don't try to sit down and say, oh, God, help me. I, I, he, one guy said, well, I go to Walmart and try to get inspired. I said, man, I mean, that's where the devil lives. And uh and in self-checkout in Walmart. I said, bro, that's why your church is so bad. Because I'm just saying this. I think our, the modern church has gotten too clever. We need to get back to just this is what God's word says. Healthy, sound teaching. Okay? 
In fact, Paul to Timothy says it ought to be a place of sound doctrine, which just simply means healthy teaching. Healthy things grow. Healthy things reproduce. Healthy things prioritize God's word. We're going to try to do it in a way that's dynamic and relational and all that. But ultimately, all we're trying to do is open the book of God to the people of God and say, here's what God has to say, right? And literally, Paul says that, that God speaks this way. Faith comes in our life from hearing and hearing from what? The what? word of God. So here's what he's saying, that, that the word of God is the voice of God that produces the power of God in our lives. Word of God is the voice of God that produces the power of God in our lives. And we want to be a church that's just Bible-based. You're here this week and you say, what kind of church is the chapel? We're just a Bible-based church. We're a church that wants to worship God in spirit and in truth, but we do hold on to God's word. We're, we're kind of old-fashioned on this thing around here. We believe God wrote a book. It stood the test of time, right? In fact, I don't know if you know this, throughout history, people have tried to, tried to uh, destroy Scripture. In fact, one scholar said the Bible is the only book that has outlived all of its pallbearers, right? The Bible is the Word of God. In fact, do you know this? I just, it just occurred to me, in, uh, in the last few hundred years, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. A shepherd boy was throwing a rock and hit a clay pot in a, in a cave and uncovered what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls, which had the oldest preserved manuscripts of the book of Isaiah. They brought it out 700 years earlier than any others, and it was almost word for word exact. You know, we have 25,000 manuscript or manuscript evidences of scripture, okay? Let me put that into perspective. There's only 650 of Homer's Iliad, and yet you can't go to any uh, college university today and anyone questions the document Homer's Iliad. They hold it up as true and trustworthy, and yet they try to pull coals in scripture. 25,000 manuscript evidence. Here's what I'm saying. God's word is living and active. It's accurate and true, and we stand on God's word. We just do. Come on. Stand on God's word, okay? And they devoted themselves to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. We, we believe vibrant worship not only teaches God's word, vibrant worship is connected with other believers. How many know we need one another, right? And he uses this word fellowship, which is the Greek word koinonia, which means to just share something in common with other believers. And we live in a world, how many know we live in a world that's trying to divide people, right? Only focus on our weaknesses, only focus the things that should drive us apart. How many know in Jesus we have more together than we have that separates us, right? And you and I need one another. Do you know I need you and you need me? In fact, I've never believed in the local church any more than this season of life. I mean, we, we have people uh, over the last couple of years, all our relationships were stripped away and we come back strong to say we need one another. That the local church is bigger than just me and it's bigger than just you. Paul literally says all of us together are Christ's body and each of us is a part of it, right? So, so some of us are hand and some of us are the eye. Some of us are the big toe. Come on. But how many know we all need one another? You say, I don't need my toe. Have you ever stubbed it? Mm, you need it, right? I mean, we need one another, connection and community and togetherness and, and relationship. In fact, I read an illustration by Rabbi Harold Kushner who said he was sitting at the beach one summer day. He's watching two children, a boy and a girl, playing in the sand, and they were hard at work building an elaborate sandcastle by the water's edge. It had gates and towers and moats and internal passages, and just when they nearly finished the sandcastle, 
They, they were unexpectedly had a huge wave come alongside and knock their sandcastle over. He said, I expected the children to burst into tears, dev- devastated by what happened to all their work, but they surprised me. Instead, it, instead, they ran up the shore away from the water, laughing and holding hands, and sat down to build another castle. I realized that they had taught me an important lesson, the rabbi says. All the things in our life, all the complicated structures we spend so much time and energy creating are built on sand. Sooner or later, the wave will come along and knock down what we worked so hard to build up. When that happens, only the person who has somebody's hand to hold will be able to laugh. How many know that's true? How many know we need one another? How many know we were made for community? How many know we're launching brand new groups? In fact, we got group leader uh, training today. We're launching, there's something about connection. I saw a picture of a bunch of group of men connecting yesterday morning in small groups and community. And how many know we need, how many know we are better together, right? And you're here today and you say, Pastor, well, maybe I don't need community. Well, maybe somebody else needs you in community, right? Maybe it's not just about us. It's what others need. All of us together can do all what, what none of us alone can do, right? It's the power of community and connection. They were connected in community. And, and the early church also in worship, they were committed, look at this, to what? And to prayer. Vibrant worship, write it down, prioritizes what? Prayer. <laughs> Can you believe God hears our prayers, right? Do you know every weekend before this service in a room over here, there's a group of people that pray every weekend. Do you know every weekend at the end of services around front as we're dismissed, there's a team of people standing to pray. Do you know twice a year there are 21 days of prayer? And I love it when a new staff member comes on and they say, well, what are we gonna do 21 days of prayer? And we say, we're gonna pray every morning at 7 a.m. And they said, well, how many days do I have to come to 21 days of prayer? And I said, well, the clue is in the name. Come on, somebody, it's how many? 21 days of prayer. So you can, you can come or you can get in trouble. But come on, here we go. How many know vibrant, vibrant worship uh, prioritizes prayer? They were a teaching church, a connecting church, a worshiping church, a praying church. How many know that sets the culture, that sets the atmosphere for God to move, right? And I want to show you their attitude because they had this. It's really remarkable. The Bible says, and a deep sense of, come on, say it with me, a deep sense of what? Awe came over them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I want you to see they believed in a God that was at work doing things, and because they had this deep sense of awe, God was at work doing some things. They had a deep sense of awe, God was at work. So not only did they have vibrant worship, just write this down, there, there were signs and wonders. Here's all I'm saying this weekend. We need to be a part of a church that has some things happening that we don't have an explanation for. You see, if we have an explanation for everything that happens around here, then, then, um, then, then God's not at work. In fact, I think I told you a few months ago, I was at a pastor's gathering, and they were talking about how many people have come back to church since COVID, and churches are up, down, and they're all at 50%. And it got around to me, and I said, I don't really know what's happening, but God's been good to the chapel, and people are back, and we're... We're just, I don't know what to say. And they said to me, what's the key to that? That's what the pastors want to know. And I literally said, I don't have an answer to that. How many know, how many know there are things that you don't have? An, how many know just God is good to us, right? His hand at work in our lives. You and I need not only in our lives, but our family, our church, to be a part of a community where God's doing signs and wonders. But you know what I noticed? It happened because they had an attitude of awe. 
It had an attitude of like a sense of astonishment at what God had done. And I want to ask you this question this weekend. Do you still have a sense of awe in your life? Because that's what creates the environment that God can do things. I think, I think, I just personally believe that we have too many people in our culture with a critical spirit rather than an awe-inspired spirit. And, I, and I'm just telling you, I've lived through this myself. I, I went away to Bible college. In my first semester of Bible college, I learned everything there was to know to fix the whole world. I don't know if you ever met a Bible college student after their first semester, a freshman. They learned just enough Greek to tell everyone what's wrong with the whole world. And I developed this critical spirit. I'd sit, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'd sit in chapel and I'd think, oh, that preacher didn't use this verse right. No, my, my mom would pray for dinner and she'd get done for, with the prayer. And I'd say, mom, you use that verse out of context. And she would just take the food and say, that's fine. Put this in your context, you know. And I remember, I told you before, we had this job where we'd work six hours a week for the campus. And I was able to help offset our costs at the Bible college. And I was in charge of shampooing carpets with a, with a guy named Blaine who was studying to be a missionary. And I would tell Blaine everything. And I was kind of, I was a know-it-all, fat head. I mean, just critical. And finally, one day, he turned to me and he said, have you always known everything? I don't know what to say, but the Lord used that in my life. And I realized that there was one man next to me who I, I respected deeply. He was humble. He loved the Lord. God's using him right now overseas. And I realized I had become critical. And I had to go in my heart before the Lord and say, God, forgive me for being critical. And I think some of us this weekend maybe just need to be honest. We've gotten a little critical, okay? And you say, Pastor, what's God's attitude towards being critical? Did you ask that? Okay, you want to, let me show you. Look at this, the nation of Israel in land. They even spoke against God himself. God can't give us food in the wilderness. Yes, he can strike a rock so water gushes out, but he can't give his people. Now, can I just pause for a second? This is amazing logic. Isn't it? This is the people of God back in the wilderness. Remember when they're wandering? Moses hits a rock and water comes out. How many know if, I'm, if I just hold a rock from your landscaping and I hit it and just a lot of Dasani bottles pop out? <laughs> you'd be like, whoa. They're not. They're like, only water? And they, I mean, this is how critical they are. Oh, sure, anyone can hit a rock and produce cases of water. He can't give his people bread and meat. You say, Pastor, well, how does God feel about that kind of attitude? Okay, I'm glad you asked. When the Lord heard them, he was, come on, somebody. Furious, okay. He was furious. The fire of his wrath burns against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel, for they did not believe God. Look at this, or trust him to care for them. Some of us have gotten so critical in our spirit, we don't believe God, and we don't trust him to care for us. And I'm telling you, miraculous signs, God's deliverance, his special work in our life happened in response to an awe, to a sense of awe and astonishment. Just write this down this weekend. I think we're better off to celebrate than evaluate. You say, well, pastor, tell me one miracle you've seen. Okay, you woke up today. A friend of mine posted the weather from Colorado. They have a foot of snow in Colorado. Amen, you live here. 
How many know four chambers in your heart were pumping? Air was filling your lungs. How many know you can breathe? Come on. How many know it's a gift of a new day? How many know sunset and the grace of God? Come on. And, and how many know? I mean, how, how many have something to be grateful for this weekend? And we just need to be reminded. A critical spirit limits the work of God in our life. And an awe and a celebrated. I just said, God, restore to me a sense of awe. Here's what I think happens. I think kids have this when they're little, but we lose this when we get older. Is it okay if I talk to some of us middle-aged folks? I'm in that category, right? Like that, that, I think we start with a sense of awe. And if we're not careful as we get older, we can become critical. I love how G.K. Chesterton says it. He says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. You ever have a kid, you're like, boo, again. You're like, really? <laughs> and all the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all the daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we are. Oh, would God restore infancy kind of spirit, a child like Jesus says, for such is the kingdom. How many want to just have a sense of awe restored to you? God's good. I have another day to serve him. He's provided me another meal. My, my, I, I can, I, how many want to just be grateful for the goodness of God in your life, right? And a critical spirit drives that from our heart. And an awe-inspired spirit creates the atmosphere where God can do what only God can do. Let, let's, let's return to a sense of wonder, a sense of amazement, a sense of astonishment that God can only... I mean, just think of how blessed we are. Anybody grateful for air conditioning? Come on, everybody grateful for Taco Bell? Anybody grateful for spring, uh, summer break? Come on. I mean, anybody grateful for country music? Mm. I'm just saying, God, remove the... I think we live in a critical spirit. I'm not saying our culture's perfect, our city's perfect. I'm not even saying our church is perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm just simply saying this. God's been pretty good to us. And some of us have gotten in this attitude of only complaining and that gratitude would transform our lives. A sense of awe and appreciation for who God is, what he's done, and all that he has for us. How many believe that today, right? A sense of gratitude, right? All right, let me show you. And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They were generous people. They sold property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Here's the third thing that a church does. They have, I want you to see this, they have compassionate concern for other people. We need to be a church that flat out loves people, okay? And here's what the people did in the New Testament. They literally took their property and they sold it and they gave money to those that are in need. And I just want to pause for a second because some teachers have used verses like this, I think, 
um, inappropriately to teach socialism or communism or something like that. So let me just show you one other verse before you create that theology. And they broke bread in their what? So they still had homes. I'm just saying that because once in a while people go to the other verse and they're like, we should all sell everything and just put it in the middle and it's going to be a great utopia and communism sounds good. And for those who've tried it, don't really like it, but apparently a bunch of people around here are kind of cool with it. Uh, I'm going to let that go before I get political. <laughs> that was free. That was pretty good, wasn't it? So they still had homes, but they still had generosity. They said, God, you blessed me that I might be a blessing. You've given some things to me that I might give, you might get some things through me. I'm going to be, I think we ought to be a people that are generous and compassionate and caring for the world around us. That's why I love the compassion of this church to support world missions and benevolence needs and love on the community around us. How many know we need to be a church that flat out loves people that have compassionate care? And let me say this, Chapel, we're going to have to walk this line because we are going to find days that we live in where holding to the truth of the Bible puts us at odds in some way to culture. But if we're not careful and we become hateful and mean-spirited to the culture, we lose the compassionate concern that Jesus had for people who need life. So we're going to need to hold the truth of the Bible. Everyone get that? But love our neighbors who disagree with us in such a way that we build a bridge between our heart and theirs that Jesus might walk across it. And I'm just saying, I think the danger is one of twofold. You got some Christians losing the truth and getting mushy, gushy, sloppy, agape over here, right? But then you got other people over there, they're just mad at everybody, you know? Turn or burn, come on. They're gonna get up and yell at their neighbor, hey, good morning, good morning, going to hell. Like, <laughs> you... How I many know the people of God should be the most loving community of earth? Hey, I mean, just like this, this house, this house, Scott's Edition, this house, Midlothian, this house, Chesterfield County Jail, ought to be a place where you can come no matter what you've dealt with, the baggage, the hurts, the pain, that whether you're up, down, or all around, it ought to be a place where people are flat out loved and accepted and introduced to Jesus Christ. We gotta be a church that loves people. I mean, I'm telling you, we gotta be a church We've got to be a church that loves people. We've got compassionate concern. It's why Jesus stood looking over Jerusalem, and the Bible said he wept as, because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd, and he had a heart that yearned for their, for their salvation. And the early church, what they did, they cooked their resources. They sold their resources, and they were a blessing to the world around them. I want to say that to people of the chapel. It's why we give generously. It's why first Sunday of the month, 10%, we trust God with tithes and offerings and generosity because we realize it's not just about us. It's about making a difference in the world around us. How many know it's not just about what God's given to you? It's about what God can give through you. Anybody believe that, right? In fact, I've learned the principle of life that the more generous we'll get to others, the more generous God will be with us the way he provides, the way, but it's from a group of people that look in the world around us and feel a sense of compassion. In fact, I had a member of our church between services last week tell me the exact location of a man who, was, who had a sign begging and they were so burdened by it. They said, what can we do as a church? How can we help? Is there some way? I was so moved by that, even between services. They'd been sitting at a stoplight and didn't just see somebody begging for something. They saw a person. Hey, I'm just saying this. Our world tries to de-person certain people. 
This church loves every single person from the womb to the tomb. People are the heart of Jesus Christ and people are the heart of the chapel from the womb to the tomb. Am I in the right room this weekend? People are a heart. People are a heart. People are a heart. Compassion for people. Compassion. Maybe you're here this weekend and you, you're, you're, you're hurting. Compassion for you. Prayer for you, your circumstance, your situation. All right, I got one more. Here, here's the last one. Here it is. Churches that change the world, they have aggressive evangelism. Okay. I want you to see this, how the passage ends. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number, come on, somebody, what? You know, last weekend, I don't know, 30 or so people, just a regular Sunday, nothing special, 30 or so people made decisions to give their life to Jesus last weekend at the chapel. You know that? In fact, I sat on my desk this morning and I saw the online uh, forms filled out. Five people last week, online camera, YouTube, Facebook, website, who took the time to actually go and fill out a Connect card online to say, I watch the chapel online, we love you online, and say, today I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ. 30 in rooms, five virtually. How many know we exist as a church to help people come to know God? You see that little E, know God, find free, but this church is about helping people come to know God. And the Lord added to their number, come on, daily. How many know it's not just about Sundays, people meeting Jesus, it's daily, come on. You know what I mean? It's daily, those who are being saved. Daily, those who are being saved. Somebody asked me the other day, how big will the chapel get? We don't even think that way. We don't know. Listen, next, building an addition is not about, um, it's not about getting a bigger church. It's about just creating space for people. Come on, somebody in the lobby, wave at me. Come on, give it up for the lobby out there. Come on, lobby. Love you guys. Appreciate your patience, incredible generosity. We're off to a great start in next. We're right, right on pace, moving forward strong. We're not building more seats or breaking ground or turning dirt to try to be a cool church or a bigger church. We just want to create a place where VBS doesn't get cut off at 475. We can take 800. We just want to create a place where, where all the people moving into all these condos and houses around here, we can't say, come and visit and sit near the fireplace. Come on. We want to create a place where everybody, we, we just want to, we want to believe God that as construction goes up all around us. Those people, God knows who they are. Families, singles, and God knows who they are. We're already praying over their structure saying, Jesus, would you give us grace and favor in their life that you might reach them for the glory of God, right? Next isn't about big, building a bigger church. Next is about just reaching the next person. Here's why you need to believe that. Because if heaven is real and hell is real, then we still have a work to do as a church. Meaning if heaven is real and hell is real, we still have a work to do as a church. In fact, I've started joking around with on Sunday mornings. I was reading this. And the Lord added to their number daily. How many know that people can get saved not just in church but through our lives? And so the, the servers at the Starbucks I go to on Sunday morning know I'm a pastor. So I start a little joke with them about what I'm going to preach that day. So now I'm pulling through the Starbucks 6.15 in the morning. They said, what's the sermon today, Brandon? Oh, I'm going to tell you two minutes, the sermon today. Here it is. And they think I'm goofing around. I'm just trying to preach to them. 
And I have a dream that one day I'll walk into church and I'll say, oh, chapel, somebody got saved today. And you'll say, oh, was it the early morning service? I'll say, no. I'll say, I had to put my car in park at a Starbucks drive-thru and everyone got mad behind me. But the lady at the drive-thru, finally God opened her heart. Wouldn't that be amazing? Come on. That'd be amazing. Here's my prayer. The Lord added to their number daily. It's just a church that's aggressive with evangelism. Not, not in a mean-spirited way, not in an attacking way. Just a church that says Jesus has the power to change your life, and that can happen today. I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm going to pray for us today, and I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor Jason. But Would you buy your heads all over this room and the lobby, everybody here? I want to just take a sacred moment. We have four more minutes at church before we're over. Four more minutes. But we have a special song I want to close just with a half of it. If you're here this weekend and you're not certain you have a relationship with Jesus, you just kind of heard it. We exist as a church to try to introduce you to the greatest news we've ever heard, that Jesus saves and he can turn your life around. No one's looking around. I won't embarrass you, I promise. But every week people take steps of faith. If you're here today in this room or in the lobby or in Scott's edition, you said, Pastor, I'm not certain I have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you wandered away from it today. Today you want to come home to him and place your faith in Jesus. I'd love to pray for you. I promise I won't embarrass you, but I'd love to pray for you. Be honored. Would you just raise your hand all over this room? You say, that's me today. Pastor, pray for me. I need to get my heart right with Jesus. Yes. Are there others? Yes. Are there others? Yes. Yes. Are there others? Just hold it up nice and high so I can see it. And I say, pray for me, Pastor, today. I'm not certain I have a relationship with Jesus. I want to get my heart right with God. One more time. Say, Pastor, pray for me in the lobby. Scott's edition, yeah, I see your hand over there. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else, pray for me. I'm not certain where I'm at with Jesus. I want to give my heart and life to him. Yeah, thank you so much. I see that. Young man, yes. Anybody else, pray for me, Pastor. Right where you're seated, you just pray a prayer that goes like this. God, I know I've come up short. I've sinned. But today I believe that Jesus died and rose again. I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. So will you save me today? Will you rescue me? Will you turn my life around? Will you give me a new start? Rescue me from my sin. Come into my life and by your grace, I'll serve you all the days of my life. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.